You're listening to Once, episode 221, The Bear King. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And we have rewatched this episode, The Bear King, and we've decided to give it a full discussion because it is, after all, another episode of Once Upon a Time. So why wouldn't we discuss it? (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking when we did the initial reactions. I was sick. That's it. You were cursed. I was cursed. You were sick, cursed, and it was an anticlimactic second hour following birth however by itself pretty fun episode yeah i know i was thinking the same thing because when we watched it on sunday there was so much that was not only confusing about this episode like Mm -hmm. trying to figure out the timeline because we had just (laughs) seen the episode birth Uh uh-huh but also this was let's be honest this was a letdown after an episode like birth now i know some people didn't like birth and some people actually liked the bear king more than birth Sure. But I think putting these two (laughs) completely different episodes right next to each Mm -hmm. other on the same night did make it harder to enjoy them both fully. The Bear King was, and not to diminish its quality, direct-to-TV Brave 2. It wasn't a continuation of almost anything for all intents and purposes that we saw in birth. So if someone doesn't like the way the story is going, it's easy to like the Bear King more because it was just a fun story. (laughs) It does have a little bit of the continuation with the couple weeks ago in Camelot storyline, but not Mm -hmm. all that much because Arthur is going on this quest that doesn't actually end up succeeding. So he's back pretty much where he started. What I've heard is that ABC actually ordered an extra episode for this season in order to play around this time. And the writers didn't plan on it. So they essentially did squeeze this episode in Mm. and that's why it doesn't really move the plot along that makes some sense and since they bothered to have merida in the story this year i'm glad they did this episode i'm especially glad that i watched brave coincidentally the week before it aired (laughs) or i don't think it would have been as fun because it wouldn't have made as much sense i do wonder though if they had not done this episode how they would have tied in the fact that Arthur killed her father. Because I feel that that's a relatively important element. Now, maybe it would have been revealed in another way, just through a conversation, much the way her father's death was explained. I actually mentioned it in the podcast. She explained it so well, I felt like I was there. And then they went and showed us the battle anyway, which was cool. Mm. We already knew what was going to happen because she already told us. We didn't know it was Arthur, though. Right. And that was an interesting surprise to see how he ties into the story and also what it tells us more about his character, which we'll get into more in a little bit. But I think that the way that this episode gives us some more story to the story is very (laughs) fitting for Once Upon a Time, Mm -hmm. where Once Upon a Time really focuses as a TV series on the prequel or what's after Happily Ever After. Right. And so it did do that. I think it did a decent job at that now that we've seen this episode again and separately from watching the episode of birth to be able to take this as it was really intended, I think. Mm -hmm. 
And we got some questions answered that we didn't know we actually had. <laughs> That's uh, another specialty of theirs. Like, what happened to Mulan? Where's yeah. Ruby? Now we know. Right. Yeah. For example, Ruby. We thought we knew where she was. You know, still at Granny's and they just never show her or something. Where did we think she was? At Granny's and yeah. they just never showed her or somewhere <laughs> out in the woods running around. Yeah. So let's start our conversation back in the past. It starts with Fergus going to visit the witch. This, If you don't know Brave, then I'm going to, throughout this episode, highlight a couple things from Brave to help you understand it more. Uh, but this was the witch that created the spell that in Brave set everything in motion, turning people into bears and everything that happened. Mm -hmm. This witch seems to have a history for being very indirect with her right. magic. <laughs> she really, it's not like this thing will solve it. It's by my giving you this thing and you're thinking that this thing will solve it. And then by your overcoming the problem that this thing I gave you makes, that's what actually solves your problem. Well, and Merida already said, even in Once Upon a Time, what hers was supposed to do, change her fate. Right. Which, you know, <laughs> happened to look like one thing in the movie and sort of another thing in Once Upon a Time. I guess it really did kind of work. Except Belle kind of did that more. Yeah. Just by switching it out. So Fergus then, it did surprise me that he would go to the witch, but it's nice to know how things all worked out. But... This time I noticed in the witch's hut there that mm -hmm. there were more bear carvings, several more, <laughs> which weren't there before. So maybe she's had a little bit more time to do some more bear carvings. But I thought that they did a great casting job with the witch and mm -hmm. her hair, too. She looked like what the witch from Pixar's Brave would actually look like in real life. Right. But even in a more believable way, even then, say, King Fergus's hair... Yeah. His looked a little, all the red hair, <laughs> a lot of it, I should say. Meredith has looked good most of the time, but the guys stuck in the red hair have looked a little bit <laughs> like they were trying to look like a cartoon. One of the things that really bothered me about this episode is learning that Camelot was invading or attacking. Now, that could be that Fergus misinterpreted information he received from his spies, because at this time... Arthur was looking for the missing piece to Excalibur. True. And we also learned that Camelot is geographically to the south of Dunbrook. So if we're making a map, which we don't have on onespodcast.com, maybe we'll try and make that sometime. But now we know where that kingdom is. So he mentioned invaders from the south, but he did not name Camelot, correct? Right. Camelot was never named as the invader. Okay. He didn't even know because that was at the right. battlefield. He said, who comes to a mm -hmm. battle and doesn't identify themselves? So here he just knows somebody's coming from the south. Yes. I have a thought on that that we'll get to later. All right. As what I find interesting about this is that it seems that Fergus maybe never knew what the magic was that he was given. What the helm, as they call it, is supposed to do. Right. Uh, he just wanted a way to win or to ensure, how did he put it? Ensure the future of his kingdom? Yes. So yes, very indirect. <laughs> it's another IOU for magic. The last time we saw something like that was when Emma brought back uh, Cinderella or Ashley back to Storybrooke for Rumpelstiltskin. That's when he said, you'll owe me a favor. 
Um, which he didn't cash in until season two. When the witch said, so we have ourselves a deal. For a second, I started thinking, wait, is she one of the dark ones? Only dark <laughs> ones say that. Which is probably not true, but maybe it's just a thing magic-y people do. In this scene, unlike the way Belle created the potion, the helm actually rose out of the cauldron, which is very similar to what the witch did in Brave. And this episode was even more full than previous episodes of things that were just like the movie. Oh, yeah. So, again, even if you've seen this episode already, go ahead and go watch Brave and you'll appreciate it more. Watch it again after. When Merida meets Mulan and they have this little battle thing. This little battle <laughs> thing. It was sort of like sparring instead of shaking hands. Yeah. That's the way warriors greet each other. <laughs> I, and I think probably everyone else expected this. And I felt like I expected this so much. I was actually a little disappointed that they <laughs> didn't do it. But then again, if they did do it, I probably would have been like, really? Again, <laughs> I expected, you know what's coming, Merida to say, you're a girl. And Mulan to say, woman. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did not expect that. But I'm glad that they didn't. I, th- I think that's okay. <laughs> so Mulan is basically the one now making a man out of Merida. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I did think that. What was funny about Mulan this time is that I felt like she had a lot more smiliness, mm-hmm. which is ironic considering the two years later part. But she seemed maybe it was a contrast they were creating between the past and the present. Because I don't remember her. Like when we first met her with Philip and Aurora, I don't remember her smiling a whole lot. And timeline could be, is messy. Keb, you have a challenge ahead of you. Keb manages our timeline over at oncepodcast.com slash timeline. And they use the phrase in this two years, I basically know. two years later, two years earlier, which the two years, at one point they did say several years. Yeah, the first time they went back, they said several years ago. Then they went forward and said, two years later. And then they kept showing the caption over and over, like we were going to get really confused. And they were like, two years ago, two years later. And it's like, well, was it several or was it two? Considering that the last time they had a typo on screen, <laughs> it should have been a five, but it was accidentally a two. It makes me wonder if something similar happened here, because if they're intending it to be five years ago then that makes total sense. Two years ago doesn't quite make sense because the reason I bring that up is with Mulan, I think that during the curse and searching for Aurora and all of that stuff with Philip going on, I think that's what kind of hardened Mulan a little Mm -hmm. bit more and made her a lot more business and not so smiley. Yeah. Now it was the um, broken heart that really crushed her and made Mm -hmm. her then grumpy. (laughs) So I think that these events were probably happening before the curse, before this whole um, mission to find Aurora. Before the curse, though. Yeah. Because the way that they gave timeline statements, and we've talked about this a little bit before, if they take the curse into consideration, which they used to, and maybe they don't for more recently joined audience members, but taking that in, that adds 28 years just on top of everything, right? technically speaking. And they used to account for that when they gave their timeline captions. So it's kind of like five years in perceived time 
but really more like 30 something years in actual time. Right. Yeah, it starts to get really <laughs> messy or or maybe Camelot was not affected by the curse and Dunbrock was not affected by the curse. The curse was such a big event. I feel like a lot of people who were affected on one side or the other would actually measure time before and after the curse. I feel like they could actually go ahead and put that in since the curse is the foundation of the show's mythology. Yeah. Just tell us how long before the curse or after the curse. Yeah, that that would be Of course, nice. then people start saying which curse, but we know which one, the curse. The, yeah. The, the second curse. one hardly counts, even the sorry, curse that started all of this. Yeah. <laughs> Mulan does point out that Merida should learn from her father, and we see him rallying the troops, and he's wearing a helm. Both helms look exactly the same, the magic one and the regular one. Mm-hmm. But the one that he was wearing when he's looking out across at the coast, watching for the invaders, the one that he's holding, that is the magical one. And that's probably when he threw it in. Right. So here's my question. Why did he throw it in the water? Did he know? Because it seemed, and half the premise of this is that he didn't know exactly what it did. Maybe he figured it out. Maybe there's something we didn't see where he was wearing it and he asked someone to do something and they just hopped to and he was like well that's strange and so he tried it out on a few more people and they went hmm this isn't exactly what i wanted this is too powerful i'm gonna get rid of it i think maybe he just realized that i've turned to a magical solution here and that was wrong mm. and i'm giving up on this he was wearing one of the helms though while he was rallying the troops and it made me wonder right. wait was that using some of the magic there if everyone was like yeah yeah we'll fight for you we'll die for you and but like he said there were all kinds of reasons for them to follow him right because he's the bear king and he's willing to be the first to die and they knew that so they were rallying the troops was never his problem anyway the only reason she gave him that was because of everything that happened later it wasn't really what he asked for directly right. <laughs> so we come to the battle scene And with, of course, Arthur is going to be masked so that we don't know yet until there's the reveal at the end. Also, so he doesn't get an arrow in the face. Yeah, helpful. I still have issues with the fact that they're battling because... Yep, but here's here's the thing. Yeah. They weren't, they were not identified in any way. They weren't wearing Camelot markings. So my question is, were these Arthur's soldiers Or did he sneak in with another army, Hmm. just sort of join their ranks? Although you'd think that they would be identified anyway, if they were just someone else. That's a good point, because I could see Arthur, since he's questing for the remaining part of Excalibur, I could see him maybe hiring someone else and his acting just like a bounty hunter, practically. Mm -hmm. Um, Or just putting on the armor and being like, yeah, I'm one of the men, I'm one of the knights, I'm going to fight. But he's got a specific side goal. But at the same time, I could see this being soldiers from Camelot that are just disguised or not wearing their regular uh, Camelot uniforms. Right. I can see that too. It would almost make more sense because if it were just another kingdom that he joined, you would think they would have some identification. But did they come actually intending to have a battle? This is one of those weird things Uh, to start thinking about. Like who was really the aggressor here? Mm-hmm. Was it Camelot or was it Dunbrock? Well, they were in Dunbrock, right? 
Yeah. You're not really supposed to send your army into another land without the intent of attacking. True. They're probably not going to learn how to make a new type of stew. Yeah. They sent all the chefs of the kingdom in armor with swords to get cooking tips from the four clans, which, by the way, when they're all said at one time in a rallying war cry, makes me think that their descendants will be a law firm. I I could certainly see that, like, if the Canadian Air Force suddenly sent 100 (laughs) jet fighters across the border without expressing intent, that the United States would get really concerned about that and probably start yep. shooting them down mm-hmm. yep the, thinking this seems like an act of war the canadians it's so tense between the united states and canada <laughs> you make an excellent point <laughs> i'm okay to say that because aaron's not here but she is normally part of the podcast and she's canadian so that's why i'm okay to say that don't yell too loud aaron you probably have people around you while you're hearing this but still it doesn't quite i think say who is in the wrong here and who is the actual aggressor sure camelot was probably doing something wrong by coming in unannounced but they could have just said hey we're not here for war we're just here on a quest i think there's just an unwritten code yeah maybe it's just aggressive i mean we still have things like that today where certain military forces from one country cross into another or even too close to another country's territory And people get all riled up, like, oh, that was almost a declaration of war. You didn't fire anything, but that's just not done. Right. It is basically an invasion. So to call them invaders is true because they never expressed intent, but they did bring armed forces into the land. So I think that would technically mean they are invading. And then there's the beard, even though they couldn't see it. (laughs) Yeah. Before we move on to talking about the fairly present day storyline, I want to thank some people who made this episode of the podcast possible. Our heroes for this episode who have declared their intent and they are not invaders. They are our heroes. I do declare. David Newland, Lisa Slack, and Swan Got Hooked. Thank you very much for your kind contributions episode after episode for the podcast. And also we have 29 heroes on Patreon supporting the podcast. We could not do this without you. So thank you very much for supporting the podcast. If you would like to be a hero to the podcast and keep it running and be even more magical than a magical helm to empower the podcast, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. Sign up for monthly contributions through Patreon. You can contribute as little as a dollar per month or even more than that. Or click on our Amazon buttons over there just before you check out on Amazon.com. And then a portion of your purchase supports the podcast and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So do your Christmas shopping, your Thanksgiving shopping, your New Year's shopping, your holiday shopping, your Kwanzaa, your Hanukkah, your whatever shopping on Amazon. Click on that link first and then do your shopping and that supports the podcast. Those options are over at oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. In Camelot, we pick up right where we left off with Arthur trying to get Merlin to kill the Charmings and Emma breaks them free and all of that. So here we are, poofed back into Camelot. And one of the things here is that Arthur said he wants to actually destroy Regina. Hmm. He's totally set now on killing his new friends. 
<laughs> yes. And that's when he gets this idea, remembering things. Oh, I know that there's this helm back in Dunbrock that can help me to mm. turn my warriors into mindless robots to do my bidding, regardless of what they think or how horrible they think the outcome will be. And here's the piece that makes it feel like, well, like when a child sees a cake on the table and they grab a piece out of it and and you just didn't see them and you can't stop them and now there's a big hole in the cake. And so what do you do? It's got to look good for whatever the event is. And you just kind of bridge that gap with some icing. It looks pretty good on the surface. It's sweet, not a lot of substance. It's a bad analogy, but you get the idea. This little plot element feels false. And that's what gives me or lends a little more credence to the idea that this was a bit of a, not a filler, maybe a filler episode. It was really good for a filler episode, Mm -hmm. but if it was kind of extra and sort of an add-on, I guess. I would call it consistent with what we already know of characters and reinforcing. His men have no problem following him. But... I mean, they were carrying around a cauldron of stuff that melts things for him with no question. They've done everything he's asked. I don't know why suddenly he's like, oh man, I'll never be able to rally the troops without this helm. Well, it could be the troops are thinking, wait, that's the savior. Why should we be fighting against the savior? Hmm. And the dark one? No, I don't want to fight against the dark one. They've got the dark one and Merlin on their side and all Uh. of that stuff. So maybe that's what he was thinking about. But I think this is consistent with his character that you look at Arthur and he really takes a microwave oven approach (laughs) to everything, it seems. And we don't mean heartwarming. Yeah. He wants the quick fix, the magical tricks to get out of doing his hard work. That's true. It is consistent with that. I'm just not totally sure why he had this fear because they've not shown any of his men even questioning anything. He was talking about his plans when he made the melty stuff, which is still in play somewhere, by the way. Yeah, that's true. Throw it on anyone. I forget his conditions. Basically, the first thing that moves. (laughs) And so this is yet another one of those things that it's just, I don't have to do much work. I can just throw something at someone or I can just wear this helmet and get everyone to fight my battles for me. Mm -hmm. I can just wave this potion and fix problems. That is his approach. He is lazy. And really only because he had Zelina with him, which is why he asked, how far can we go? On, that She's the only way that this even made any sense. If it was going to be a quick endeavor to go get it, that would have been fine. Otherwise, they really did not have time for this whole excursion to go find the helm. Right? They really didn't. There's a lot going on in Camelot, and maybe because we were getting the backstory, it felt like it took them longer than it actually did to kind of poof over and encounter people and fight them a little bit and poof away. Now, we're going to skip over a few scenes because we didn't have all that much to talk about, but I do want to come back to where Mulan is basically a bounty hunter or collections agent for hire, and she's changed a lot because you look at what we know of Mulan from season two. Clearly, yes, her heart was broken. Mulan is now basically given up on life. She's lost sight of fighting for something that means anything. 
Which, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was... I could. I keep going back and forth. I can't decide if that's a reaction that makes sense or doesn't. I guess she's a fighter, so she's going to go fight one way or another. But and, losing her entire sense of honor seems a little bit strange to me. Yeah, it does, especially when you also consider that where did she go after trying to talk to Aurora? She went to be with the Merrymen. So mm. the Merrymen have been about honor. Robin Hood, like, look at Robin Hood, the leader of the Merrymen. He was all about, you know, the honorable thing. Don't take more than we need. We're doing this to save the poor, you know, rob from the yeah. rich to give to the poor. Unfortunately, that, kind of that whole group kind of phases on and off of Forgotten Character Island. Right. Robin's around, but he's kind of not really around, if you know what I mean. <laughs> he's just sort of there. And they brought Will in to kind of be both a carryover from Wonderland and to kind of be the representative merry man. But now he's gone too. Yeah. But but probably not really, unless, you know, I don't know, he grew a magic bean himself somewhere and jumped, or or maybe the white rabbit came and got him. I don't know. But uh, we just assume that he's still there and not talked about. So the Merry Men, maybe not the most <laughs> dependable group, at least story-wise. I think they're supposed to be. Not a lot of support there that we've seen. Or the way it can happen sometimes when someone has a broken heart, they can become very cynical and very critical of life and seeing other people happy mm-hmm. or merry can <laughs> just sometimes make it even worse. True. So any number of things could have happened in these, however many years, well, a couple years actually. Right. They've pretty heart. much limited that time frame. Yeah. Said it about three times. We'll see if Keb, validates their work (laughs) but when arthur does visit the witch's cabin that's the first time that we got to see ruby there in wolf form and in our chat room immediately several people recognized ruby now see i did not and i think it's because in (laughs) the (laughs) the post I'm, i'm trying to say this very carefully in the hour following birth (laughs) I was so sad that we were not seeing what happened next that I was half checked out. And so I was like, oh, there's a wolf in the cabin. I barely noticed. (laughs) I think I kind of was too. Um, (laughs) And I had no reason to think that Ruby was back in Dunbrock or anywhere in Enchanted Forest. Hadn't read the credits at the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) I try and stay away from spoilers and... I do stay away from spoilers. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know that Ruby was going to be a wolf in Enchanted Forest area like that. But neat to see her. I didn't feel like that fit the witch's personality. True. To keep Ruby that way. Even when it seemed like she was menacing the kingdom by saying she was going to turn them all into bears, I thought that didn't seem like the character you got from her in Brave. But then by the end, it all lines up again. But still, there's the keeping Ruby a wolf thing as a pet. That just seems a little off. I'd like to hear her explanation. Yeah, it does seem off. I can't really see a way of reconciling it. Even if you say something like, oh, she found Ruby when Ruby was a wolf. Well, Ruby changes back from a wolf at some point. Well, she said, I thought she said the witch made sure she stayed that right. way. Yeah, that's the other the complicated thing. I don't know. Just mean. Which is just a little odd. I mean, she's a witch. 
<laughs> but as Merida and Mulan then revisit the battlefield, I thought it was a nice little detail that there was still a skeleton lying up against a rock oh, I didn't somewhere in the that. background. That's gross. Why weren't there more? I don't know. There should have been more. If the arrow was still there with the cloak, and it's only been two years, there should have been corpses. That's gross, but there should have been. Maybe. Maybe the survivors carried them away for proper burials. But they conveniently left out one arrow and that piece of cloak and one skeleton just for effect. I thought it was strange that Mulan could feel in the ground that someone was poofing in. Yeah. I could understand if they were riding horses, but they weren't. Maybe... She's just that good. Zelina thought it was a neat little trick. She does have the most powerful sword in all the realms, except for Excalibur. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, who's tethered to that thing? (laughs) Yeah. Well, we did learn that in season two, if you're wondering where I got that from. She said it's the most powerful sword in all the realms. Now we know, actually, Excalibur is, but Excalibur didn't really... But they do love their superlative descriptions, and they do love to say in all the realms. So... Squid ink is the most changeable element in all the realms. Somehow during this scene, perhaps amid the discussion of why Arthur was after the helm, it occurred to me that is he out of the sands of Avalon? Hasn't he pretty much hit the entire kingdom with that anyway? Don't they pretty much all just, or does it just make the kingdom appear fixed, but doesn't it not appear fixed anymore? If they won't follow him, doesn't that look like a broken kingdom? And isn't the sand keeping that from happening? Don't think about it too hard. (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) You know, Mulan could feel Zelina poofing in, apparently. (laughs) And Mulan could also tell that Ruby wasn't actually a wolf. So maybe Mulan has some kind of magic special sense. Yeah. Hmm. Because it did strike me rewatching the episode wondering wait how does mulan know that ruby that the wolf is actually a person and not a wolf yeah i thought that was strange too i thought of all the people we've seen who would be likely to know that it would be bell yeah because it was bell who realized the yagwai mm-hmm. was actually philip yeah mulan did not you'll notice <laughs> yeah, exactly so somewhere along the way she's learned something maybe maybe now she just any dangerous thing that attacks her, she just stops to think, might you actually be a nice person? Thank you for not chewing my face off while I talked to you and then kicked over this cauldron that just happened to be there and it somehow turned you back into a person. I'm glad that worked because it would have really been kind of awful if Ruby had also eaten Mulan. Yeah. I think it would have traumatized us all. (laughs) But Ruby tells her little story of uh, retroactive continuity, maybe. (laughs) But it does explain why we haven't seen Ruby in quite a while. Yeah. And I think does kind of fit with Ruby's character a little bit to the extent that she felt like she didn't really feel in. We've seen her struggle with that throughout all of the Mm -hmm. seasons. Even when she wanted to find her lemur, it was because she felt (laughs) like she didn't fit in. I forgot about the lemurs. (laughs) I think it would have been a... Maybe a good idea for her to just say, while she's telling her story, that a lot of other people decided to return to the Enchanted Forest as well. Yeah, it did bother me that a lot of selfishness for her to take the bean all by herself. But clearly Snow didn't see it that way. Yeah. Maybe they thought, well, it was hers and Tiny's hard work. And maybe the thought was, 
tiny still out there growing more beans. So this is just the first of many that we'll have. Yeah. By the way, nice to get tiny mentioned, another mm-hmm. character from Forgotten Character Island. I wonder if they have a bigger intent with this, that that's a way of saying, actually, yes, there can be some extra magical beans in the future if we need them. Maybe. Which is annoying, potentially, as writing this scene in was, it still, if they suddenly in some episode go, tiny, how have you done with the magical beans? And he's like, I've got 10. It'll be better to know that he was working on them than for a long time than oh, that's really convenient. Right. (laughs) And it reminds us that he has been working on them Mm -hmm. and that it kind of gives us a still working, still work in progress reminder to that thing that we wondered back then, well, if he's making these beans, then when will we get to use these beans? And you know, if that's all that they were able to produce, maybe they've forgotten something very important to whistle while you work. (laughs) Someone might need to just go remind him. When they do finally find the helm and have the ensuing fight, we learn that Arthur was looking for the dagger and he was apparently going to any kingdoms with magic. And it makes me wonder, is this the way that he went to all kingdoms, attacking them or coming unannounced and trying to just take their magic away by force in search of the dagger? But then again, it seems that Arthur knew what the helm was supposed to do At least he knew now in fairly present day. Mm -hmm. I don't think he knew back when he took the helm from Fergus. Or did he? He seemed like he had achieved something great when he picked it up. Right. And in his recounting, he says that he tried it. So he must have had an idea what it was supposed to do because that wasn't the right one. But where would he get that idea? Because the helm had just been created. And Fergus Fergus wasn't going to tell anyone. If he even knew. Yeah. He knew what he asked for and what was given to him, but he didn't know the mechanics of how it was supposed to work. Now, it could be something that this is reused magic, that this witch is known for having this helm (laughs) and it being able to do this thing. And so when she made it for Fergus, she just recycled magic that she had used before. And so maybe... Hmm. Arthur knew of that kind of magic and recognized the helm and decided, Hmm. ah, I'm going to take that because that'll help me. Mm, I don't know. That might be a reach. It's a reach, but the alternative is also a reach. (laughs) All true. But Merida does get crowned queen because of all of this. So that does help clarify that she wasn't a queen before any of this happened. She is now a queen. But She, she was, she was sort of like... The acting queen. Yeah. She just hadn't had her coronation yet. So think about that. In Storybrooke, that means that Merida is actually a queen. Oh, that's true. But she might not remember that. Mm. In fact, she might not remember any of this stuff. Finding Ruby. Oh. Finding the helm. Saving the kingdom. We haven't seen Merida interact with almost anyone, though. Do we know if she has her memories? We do not know. The way that she's interacted with Emma and the Dark One. Emma's let her out on the loose. She must not have her memories. Right. And the way that Merida interacted with Belle as well. Mm. Oh, true, true. That really communicated that Merida didn't have her memories either. I didn't really like the idea of this ale that could summon the spirit (laughs) of the dead from the underworld. Neither did I. 
I mean, wouldn't that just be like, it would be mass produced if possible and it would be sold and it would be like Skype for dead people. <laughs> people just be out in cemeteries all the time with this ale and they just throw it on graves and talk to people. Which they shouldn't do because it's good ale. It's good ale. Don't waste it. <laughs> didn't she say she was supposed to? No, she just said one cup of this. She didn't say you had to drink it. Right. I was, I don't know why she didn't drink it. <laughs> we didn't really find anything interesting on this Legends of Shanae thing. So the the talking to the dead potion, I, I think this was all just <laughs> added for this episode, not necessarily tying in with any other I story. hope so, but it is at least the second time they've mentioned the underworld. Yeah. This season. Which, like we were talking about in our full discussion of birth, maybe the underworld is a place that we'll be going. I certainly hope not. <laughs> I mean, through the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, somebody in the chat room the other night said that she really hopes we go to the underworld and meet Hades. I said, uh, hmm, speak for yourself. <laughs> well, Hades, yeah, is a character from Disney's own movie. Hercules. Guess what I have to say about that movie. Yeah. I've never seen it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, there are a lot of the old Disney movies that we often don't think of. Actually, that one's not all that old. It's not all that old, which is probably why I haven't seen it. That and Hades as a character just sounds strange in my mind. Stranger than most. It was one of the stranger Disney movies for sure. But we do get to see a nice little goodbye and maybe the last of ruby and mulan because i kind of got the impression that this could be that parting thing where they're basically riding off into the sunset and now we know what they're setting off to do they're not just oh. disappearing but now we know they're leaving with a purpose but so did mulan the last time we saw oh, her. so that we don't have to wonder where ruby is all the right. time anymore right it's that they're that mulan is going to help ruby find her pack which what a strange thing to want those people were creepy as anything. But they were just like Ruby. And that's what she wants to do is find well, others just like her. Sure. Okay. But I don't think they were just like her. They were weird enough that she ended up having to kill her own mother. That's true. She's better than those people. So I'm not really sure. <laughs> but that's clearly not a story they really want to explore. I just think it's an odd justification for I want to leave everybody I know and go back to the Enchanted Forest by myself. But that's all right. I mean, I guess they want us to just imagine Ruby running through the forest with her pack, scratching at fleas and eating dead animals without cooking them. That's fine. I'd imagine that many of the Mulan shipping fans of Once Upon a Time were probably a little bit disappointed with this episode because they were probably expecting Mulan to find someone to love. And that didn't happen. I'm, I'm not so sure that was even implied that she will in this episode. But that, yeah, I don't think it was addressed. She's, you know, she's right. working through. It's the first time she's adopted her honor again, apparently. Mm-hmm. And she acknowledged that she was suffering from a broken heart. And I think that's her first step in actually overcoming it and moving on. Yeah, she stopped threatening people who ask her personal questions. Yeah. So that's nice. But the cliffhanger to this episode makes me think that we'll see Merida again in some way. Well, we have to. Because now she's seeking revenge or maybe, quote, justice, unquote, on Arthur. Any mercy this time? 
I don't think so. <laughs> she, uh, well, she clearly gets still in the next two to three weeks of their time, gets from where she is, newly crowned queen of a kingdom that needs her, to Storybrooke. Right. So something will happen, and we'll still be seeing her. So watch out, Arthur. The mm-hmm. Scottish woman's coming back. <laughs> So this concludes our discussion of the episode, The Bear King, but you're welcome to continue the discussion by commenting on the show notes over at oncepodcast.com slash 221. And please visit that. Even if you don't plan on commenting, click on the sharing buttons there to tweet it, to Facebook it, to Google Plus it, stumble it, and Reddit it, and all of that kind of cool stuff. That really helps us a lot, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So that's at oncepodcast.com slash 221. Special thanks to Hannah of Nottingham from the United Kingdom, who left a kind review for us in iTunes saying, this is such a great podcast. I've been listening for several years now and still rush to download it after each episode airs. The format is a perfect mix. It's interesting and insightful, yet humorous and heartwarming too. Mm -hmm. It's got me through some very dark days. Mm. I love the in-jokes and the way each initial reaction podcast finishes with a punchline relating to that week's episode. I can never wait to reach the end of the show just to hear what it is. <laughs> so thanks to all the presenters for doing such a wonderful job. I hope both the podcast and the TV show continue for a long time to come. <laughs> Thank you very much, Hannah of Nottingham, for that kind review. It does really encourage us. And those iTunes reviews do help other people find the podcast as well. So thank you. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet, then you can do so by going to oncepodcast.com and click on the iTunes button and write a review for us there. And we would really appreciate those honest reviews. Please connect with us on Twitter at Once Podcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Ramen Noodle. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Phlegon. That's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. This podcast would not be possible without our great team of volunteers helping us episode after episode. So special thanks to Corbin for sorting our feedback, Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing spoilers, Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums, Keb for managing the timeline, and my co-hosts Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, and Jacqueline for hosting this podcast with me. And remember that the Thanksgiving holiday is coming up, so there will be no Once Upon a Time on Sunday, November 22nd, but we'll be back on November 29th. And until next time, ta-ta! And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you would like to be a hero as well, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero and thank you for your support.